Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Dr. Jason Fung, doctor and author of many books, including The Complete Guide to Fasting. We talk about healthcare, the monetary incentives in the system, and why so many patients seem to be doing so badly. Jason also tells us about nutrition, fasting, and what he believes will make people better. Dr. Fung changed my life a few years ago when I listened to his book, The Complete Guide to Fasting. He's a well-spoken person that has a deep understanding, not just of the human body, but of the medical industry in general. His philosophy of care is refreshing in a world of doctors that are pushing for more and more intervention. I hope you enjoy this interview. Dr. Jason Fung, how's everything going? I'm good. How are you, Jimmy? I am good. Uh, so excited to have you here. Where where are where in the world are you right now? I'm in Toronto. Okay. How are things over there with uh, you know COVID and lockdown? Uh, that's okay. I think we're seeing the same thing as most people. That is more cases, but um, you know it's 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 all right. The hospitalizations are not quite as bad, so it's uh, you know hopefully we'll get through everything. Yeah, uh, I I. I have to say, like, this has to be really kind of a trying time for any medical professional. I mean, not only are you under a lot of stress, but there's a lot of patients that you can't go see because, you know, like of uh, COVID fears and so on. How's that been for you? Well, it's a bit of an issue because, you know, a lot of stuff is just closed. So people aren't getting their routine sort of care. So there's stuff that slips through. the cracks, which is unfortunate because the longer it goes, the more that's happening. So, you know, if it was just a couple of weeks, it's no big deal. Now it's going to be a big problem to get caught up again. And, uh, you know, we don't know what we're missing. That is, uh, people may be having problems, but since I'm not seeing them, I won't know about it and they won't know about it. Uh, so mm. I'm a little worried, but, um, you know, as I said, everybody's doing the best they can, I suppose. Hmm. Well, uh, so speaking of that, like uh, there, there's obviously like sort of a monetary component to what every doctor does. I, I think I was reading about how, uh, you know, how complicated the billing process can be and things like that. Uh, can you tell us pretty quickly, like what what are the economics of being a doctor? Like, how do you make money? How do you uh, you know, like how does everything work out and what are the incentives there? Uh, we're usually fee for service. Uh, so essentially we're paid here by the government. Um, and so this is Canada, so it might be a little different in the United States, but uh, essentially we bill for whatever we do. So if I see a patient, then I bill for it. If I see sort of a new patient, it's a little bit more, you know, follow-ups, sort of short follow-ups are paid a little less. And that's, that's basically it. So uh, it's all fee for, uh, fee for service. And um, that's it. I mean, there are other payment alternatives in the United States. You know, some doctors are on salary, for example, and there's other uh, ones where they have uh, sort of different, you know, capitation rates. So you get paid per um, how many people you follow, not necessarily if you see them or not. So um, that's that's another way that that doctors are paid. 
Well, uh, that that must be interesting for you because uh, I mean your your big uh, your books are talking about fasting and things like that. How how much service can you give for something? I mean the therapies that you uh, promote. Um, I don't really make any money off. <laughs> I mean, with the fasting, the thing is that it's. Um, you know, it's a free intervention. So it's just giving people the knowledge uh, to do it um, and, you know, supporting them as they go. It pays me no more or less to give that advice than to give no advice sort of thing, just give the standard advice. So it's really no, um, there's no incentive to it. Now, there is an incentive from the pharmaceutical standpoint. So there's a whole huge uh, conflicts of interests uh, thing where doctors, for example, are paid for to give talks, for example, by pharmaceutical companies. So you have a big pharma company, they give doctors, um, and sometimes it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to give talks to other doctors about drugs. And the thing is that it's not just, oh, you know, tell us about your expertise. What they'll do is they'll actually give the slide deck to the to the doctor to give talk to other doctors and basically the the problem is of course the the pharma companies they, they make the slides and they make uh, their drugs seem amazing so it's a very biased point of view and uh so that's that's a big problem because if now doctors like you know family doctors who are listening to these experts think that it's a, a good medical advice as opposed to like an infomercial, then their guard is sort of let down and they sort of take all these uh, drugs and overprescribe them compared to sort of uh, how effective they are. And of course, the, the, the issue, of course, is that the, the physician is taking money to give a talk. Uh, on the other side, the, the, the medications that they're prescribing are not paid directly by them. So Therefore, it's 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 a it's a big big uh, you know it's a very tough thing. It's sort of like if you allow, for example, a judge to take money from people. So if you have a judge and you know they're in charge of like um, casinos and you know regulation and they're taking lots of money from the casinos, right? That, then you'd say, well, that's not fair because it's like why would a judge be allowed to take money from a casino when it's trying to regulate the casino business or something like that, right? Um, so that's, that's a real issue uh, for, for, for medicine. That is, the pharmaceuticals are giving doctors a lot of money, uh, especially the, the academic doctors, the university doctors, and all that kind of stuff, to uh, promote these drugs that you know, then, then other doctors, uh, sort of prescribe it's, it's a real conflict, um, where you can get into a situation where drugs are very overprescribed. The pharmaceuticals are making a lot of money. The doctors are making a lot of money because they're doing this sort of on the side of what they do. And the people that pay the price are the, are the patients who are getting drugs that they don't need sort of thing. And, um, and then drug prices wind up going up. And that's a big problem in the United States. For example, insulin, the prices of insulin are, are, are skyrocketing. And this is a drug that's over 100 years old. So it's like, why would a drug that's 100 years old all of a sudden be sort of like triple the price of 10 years ago, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like buying you know, an outdated piece of equipment for triple the price. You'd be like, why would you do that? 
But of course, the patients aren't the ones who decide. It's the doctor who decides, and the doctor's taking lots of money from the pharmaceuticals. So it's a real issue. Um, mm. You know, yeah. so, so something like what I recommend, which is fasting and nutrition and stuff, doesn't uh, cost anything. And of course, there's a lot of vested interests that don't want people to know this kind of stuff. They, they prefer you to just take your medicine, pay the pharmaceutical, which can then pay the doctors, and everybody's happy except for all the all the patients, right? Wow. So uh, essentially what you're describing is a moral hazard where uh, it the actually, doctors are getting paid. Oh, absolutely. So so in fact, just yesterday, there was a release from the one of the government agencies and um, it basically said that this would be considered now a kickback. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with what sort of happens, um, so doctors know what happens. So the, the pharmaceutical company pays a very prominent doctor. So usually some academic doctor at some big time university and that big time doctor will then give a talk and usually at the fanciest restaurant in town. So, you know, stuff that costs, you know, 200, $300 for one meal and, you know, and then the regular doctors who are seeing patients, they'll go and they'll think, oh, I'm listening to this really high end, you know, fancy academic doctor, give me a talk about this drug. And of course, the the talk is about all about how good this drug is. And sometimes it's good. And most of the time, it's not very good. Um, So this happens every day. So for a while, it's not as bad now. But for a while, I could really just go to a fancy dinner four nights a week if I wanted to and get it all paid for and everything. And then of course the pharmaceutical company knows exactly who's prescribing what they get the information from the pharmacies. So they see that if the doctors who took this free dinner, if they're increasing their prescription rates, they'd be like, well, that's a good return on investment. So then they kept doing this. And if you look at, so ProPublica is a website that tracked how much uh, money these doctors were taking. It's sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And uh, so it's, it is a real moral hazard because now it's not simply, you know, it's, it's, it's not simply you're prescribing what's best for patients. You're prescribing what's the most heavily promoted and it's a real issue for certain types of drugs especially like cancer drugs where prices are through the roof and it's a especially big problem in the united states which uh, allows more of this than any other sort of country uh, around so the one of the government agencies said well we're putting out a special fraud alert (laughs) we're now considering this sort of uh, behavior which as fraudulent and doctors who do this kind of, who give these, take money to give paid talks basically could be in danger of um, both uh, criminal and civil charges. That just came out yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's, that's hopefully a step in the right direction because it was, it was a real, real problem that uh, was sort of infecting our our industry and really making people lose a lot of respect for doctors because they're like oh yeah the, all these guys want to do is push pills and stuff not realizing the backstory was even worse than they imagined that some doctors are taking hundreds of thousands of dollars to push pills mm-hmm. on the side of you know on top of what they make in their regular day 
right? And other doctors were taking these free dinners and, you know, it was just, you know, everybody getting rich off the, off the little guy. It was horrible. It's a horrible situation that has persisted. Like in 20 years, it's been going on at least that long, right? It's, um, it's terrible. Mm. Wow, that that's uh, kind of crazy to hear. And a large part of this is because uh, the patients don't directly pay the doctor. It's usually a third party paying. Is, is that a yeah. part of it? Yeah. So the doctor who prescribes these expensive medications, which are being promoted, so he doesn't pay. The patients often don't pay. So then it gets passed on. So you know everybody's kicking the the, the cost down, and then it goes to the insurer. Uh, who has to pay. And then, of course, the, um, you know, the employers and the patients, they get mad at the insurers like, oh, why are my premiums so high and all this sort of stuff? Um, when the problem actually is not the insurer, necessarily, it actually is all through. And the problem is, of course, that physicians shouldn't be in a position where you're taking money from, you know, you should make your money seeing patients, right? That's what you should do. And it, it's not right that you should be taking money on the side to promote drugs, which is going to affect your judgment as a physician, because everybody knows that if you take money from like, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. So if you're taking money from a drug company, you're going to look more favorably on that drug company than you would have otherwise. So it is clearly impairing their judgment on what is a good drug and a bad drug. But we allowed it. Like we, 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 we said, it's fine. It's to go ahead and do it. It's almost as if you were to say, oh, yeah, you know, a policeman, you know, a policeman, honestly, if he, he, if he took a cup of coffee from a store, he could get fired in New York City, mm. right? It's, mm. it's not legal, right? But then because, you know, a policeman has to be impartial, right? And, and a judge is the same thing and lawyers and journalists and stuff. Like it's all the same thing. There's conflicts of interest, and you have rules to say that you know if you're a um, if you're a lawyer, you can't take money from this mobster, for example, like uh, you know to to do things. If you're a politician, if you're a senator, you can't just go taking money from wherever you feel like, right? And yet, for doctors, the rules were like, yeah, take money from whoever wants to pay you. Right? So <laughs> it was like that's crazy. It's crazy that we should have rules like that when the public health is at serious risk. Mm. Well, does that cause sort of like a, a bias towards more intervention than less? Because that seems to be a theme in your book. Uh, unfortunately, I think it does, and I think most physicians don't even recognize the problem because. You know, they're they're on the inside. They're the ones on the take, right? It's like mm. um, it certainly causes a lot of incentives pres to prescribe lots of drugs. Because hey, if the drug companies make a lot of money off the backs of the patients, mm. then they're going to have more money to pay the doctors, and they're going to take these big fees. So there's one study I talk about, not in the book, but in one of the other posts I'd written, where they somebody looked at it and said, okay. Uh, let's look at the editors of these medical journals. Um, how much are they getting from pharmaceuticals? So I think one of the the cardiology journals, one of them, I think on average they're getting like each of these editors, and there's like probably fifty of them, are getting like four hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on average that year. Wow! Each, right? <laughs> on top of on top of what they make as a doctor, right? Hmm. It's like whoa. A four hundred and forty thousand dollar bonus 
to sway your so so that your opinion is swayed in favor of doing procedures, you know, giving drugs and stuff. And so you get into these situations where, for example, in cardiology, you have a whole, you know, where they put the stents, right? So stents, when you put a stent in for people who have uh, just chest pain, but no heart attacks, mm-hmm. it's a very lucrative uh, thing. So people sent their kids through private school on that, right? And it's, mm-hmm. um, the problem is that was when they did the studies, it was completely useless. It was a completely useless procedure. But they're doing millions of dollars of these procedures every year for the same reason. It's highly incentivized. So this is the problem. I mean, it's human nature, right? You, you, you like who gives you money. So that's why we don't allow some people to give other people money, right? It's, uh, it's, it's because we recognize that you can't have a judicial system or you can't have a police system or you can't have a, you know, you don't pay, you know, people don't, it's, it's like paying protection money sort of thing, right? <laughs> it's like that sort of stuff is just not legal, um, but it's legal for most doctors. Um, and that's sort of wrong. So, you know, and it, 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 that way that that's the thing. So, so when you have these doctors who are highly uh, biased, but don't even know it, then they like they're all like let's give drugs let's not worry about like uh fasting and you know diets and stuff having people lose weight there's no incentive for them you don't have Mm. anybody paying them for that whereas you're getting free free dinners and trips to vienna and all this stuff from this 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 nice drug lady you know it's like a terrible system (laughs) <laughs> well, so I I get why, uh, you know, newer drugs, uh, you know, I mean, just the FDA process of getting one of these drugs approved costs like, uh, like almost a billion dollars sometimes. Like why, why uh, is insulin going up? Because like you said, it's like 100 years old. Why, why is that? Oh, it's price because of that? it's, it's, uh, it's lucrative. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a whole it started probably about 15, 20 years ago. There's this company um, whose whole, um, what it did was it bought these old drugs. So people needed these old drugs, but they're, they're very small. Like they're, there's not, they're not widely prescribed. So there's no alternatives and they're old. They're like 20 years old sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they took these old drugs, they bought the rights to these old drugs and nobody else was making them. And they just jacked the price up like 20 times or something like that. And again, um, as long as it was relatively small and the drug uh, insurer, the insurance companies, you know, weren't paying a lot of money, it didn't matter. But then everybody else said, hey, look at this company, uh, this company. And, and they wound up in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, you know, uh, they eventually re- renamed their company and all this other stuff. But the, the other drug companies noticed, hey, look, these guys are, are, are doing great. All they did is take an old drug that costs a buck and started charging 20 bucks for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a huge margin, right, for a drug mm-hmm. that doesn't cost you anything to make. Um, and so everybody else is, so that's when prices started going up. So for insulin, they just kept ramping up the price and over 10, 15 years, the price just kept going up because as long as somebody's not going to complain about it, if, you know, there's, there's very little alternative and the other drug companies. So normally what limits this is competition, right? So somebody else comes out with insulin and sells it for cheaper, right? But what happened of course, was that for the big, big pharmaceuticals, um, it's way more profitable to, to collude 
So instead of everybody saying, okay, I'm going to come in with a cheaper insulin, they just said, okay, let's just keep raising the prices. Good for everybody, right? So even if you're a bit player, you don't want to put your prices down because you're making more money with the prices up. So it's just like those, remember in baseball and stuff, you'd have owners collusions and stuff. They collude to lock out the players and all this sort of stuff. It's the same thing. The drug companies are all basically colluding with each other because it's in their own interest to jack up the prices. And that's why you have prices of drugs in the United States, which are sort of multiples of where they, what they cost uh, even in Canada. Remember, there's a ton of people who used to come into Canada, buy their drugs, and then go back. Of course, you know, when the drug companies saw their profits going down, they put a stop to it. They said, oh, there's no regulation in Canada and stuff, right? But the mm-hmm. truth is they're just losing a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're describing economically is a cartel. Um, and usually cartels are not stable unless there's only a few players, in which case, um, you know, it, it can go on for a while. How many drug companies are there that produce insulin, for example? Oh, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, but probably only about two or three. But the technology, anybody could really produce it. But again, remember that there's this whole way of doing things in the drug business that is different. So that is, yeah, you can you can take an old drug, put a little tweak on it, and say we need a patent, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get a patent on it, then you're going to get about 20 years of protection. It doesn't necessarily work any better, right? So this is what they did. They didn't take the old insulin. Um, there's a certain playbook that you have to follow. So you take the old insulin, you put on some, you know, you, you change the molecule, you'll tweak it. And then you'll say, look, we get a patent on it because it's a new molecule now. So you get 20 years of exclusion, it doesn't work any better. And so the, the new insulins, most of them really just don't work much better than the old insulins, right? Um, sometimes they do a little bit, but you tweak it and then you get a patent on it. Then the way you sell it, of course, is you give lots of money to the academic doctors to say, oh, this new insulin is so much better than the old insulin because of this. And it's some made up reason. Mm-hmm. And then you basically send out all your drug reps to all the different things by free meals and free lunches to the doctor's offices. And before you know it, everybody's prescribing the new insulin because they've been sort of told how much better it is. It actually isn't any better. But the doctors think it's better because, you know, the, 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 the big guy from Harvard University who's actually getting, you know, $500,000 a year to give these talks has been selling how much good, how good it is, right? But he's getting a lot of money to say how good it is. But the regular doctors are getting free lunches and free dinners to hear about how good it is. So they think it's great. So they just keep prescribing it because what's the difference? To them, it's you, instead of writing insulin, you write something else. It's the same amount of work. And the patients aren't paying for it. So in their mind, it's like, oh, it's all good. I'll give the new insulin, which I think is, is better. And, and of course, you know, the whole thing's a bit of a scam um, and drives up drug prices. But you get this sort of new insulin that is 10 times the price because they said, look, we put a lot of research into this. But really, they put a lot of marketing into that. That's what you're paying for and a lot of profits. Oh, wow. So uh, all these drug reps are getting paid off and these doctors are getting paid off from the increase in price they're capturing some of that value is what you're saying yeah because that's where that's that's like somebody's got to pay for that free dinner and somebody's got to pay for those hundreds of thousands of dollars and those free trips to like vienna and frankfurt and germany and all these places you know because they send all these doctors to conferences all over the world at least they used to 
and 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 doctors didn't want to pay for it, right? So they would simply want to um, they would simply want to uh, go and um, I don't know. It, it it's 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 the way that it it it's been for a long time, and unfortunately, there's been little incentive to change except in the last couple of um, years. They're hopefully they're hopefully getting that a bit better. Well, so as a doctor, wouldn't you see your patients kind of get worse and wonder about like some of this stuff? Because what you're describing, especially with people with diabetes or something like that, um, you know, at least from your book, I was like, wow, most of these people don't get better and they keep getting worse. Like, wouldn't that do something to the doctor? You'd think so. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because when you, all you're hearing is the same message over and over. So I talk about this in the diabetes code, for example, where the, you know, if, if you think about type two diabetes, it's actually, you know, a very easily reversible disease. That is, if you lose weight, then your diabetes almost always gets better for type two. Um, but instead the message that goes out there is that this is a chronic and progressive disease. You're going to have it for the rest of your life. And of course you need medications to manage it, right? Diet is not going to be good enough. So of course it's a very lucrative message for the pharmaceutical. So, but if you're a doctor and you're just hearing it from it, so you have one guy that is me saying that this is the whole thing is just wrong. Like you need to, you know, it's a dietary problem don't give drugs for a dietary problem. You need to fix the diet and things will get better. And of course they do if, if people work hard enough at it. But you hear one guy who says that and 20 guys, including all the professors of all the universities saying, no, it's chronic and progressive and you need drugs. Mm-hmm. Well, as a doctor, you're going to go with uh, the 20 university professors who say, you know, things will always get worse. You need drugs for the rest of your life and here, use this new expensive drug. Mm-hmm. So, not only are you going to listen to them because that's that's who you sort of respect like yes maybe this one other guy jason fung sort of makes a little sense but he's only one guy and the rest of the world of medicine is saying give lots of drugs um so and you know you're going to free dinners on the other side right you got free dinners you got free trips and uh so so then that's the easiest path to take people just say oh okay well i'll just keep treating diabetes the way it is but again, the people who are hurt are the patients because they're not getting better. And the doctors don't see it because they're like, well, I guess that professor from Harvard should have known. And he's telling me to use drugs. And so I'm using use drugs. That's the best evidence. And the diabetes associations are saying, give lots of drugs and everything. So then it's like, at some point, you simply, you simply go with that because you're hearing that other message of give drugs, give drugs, give drugs, sort of like mm. 99 times out of 100. Right. And people are saying, well, it's a little strange that, you know, on this other side, people are reversing their diabetes and actually losing weight and getting better. But, you know, it's like a minor sort of thought. And then you go to your free dinner and then you you start getting more (laughs) drugs again. Right. Mm -hmm. And all your friends. Right. So all the university people and all your friends who are doctors are also doing the same thing. So you think that that's okay, Right. Mm. So there there's almost kind of like a hive mind about it that uh, that everyone's sort of plugged into and you almost as a doctor i guess you have to almost unplug yourself from the matrix to see reality or something like that 
It's sort of like that because until you sort of step outside um, what you've been taught, you can't really see it because everything sort of makes sense when you're inside, right? Just like the matrix, you're inside, everything makes sense. And all the, the messaging is very consistent that you just have to give drugs. It's like, and then as your patients get worse, you get the message that, Hey, for type two diabetes, this is, this is the normal situation. So it's like, of course they're getting worse. They have diabetes with no thought that, Hey, maybe we should get rid of their diabetes instead of just giving more drugs. So, you know, it's the same thing with the insulin. So in type 2 diabetes, insulin levels are high. So why would you give more insulin, right? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It's like you're doing the wrong thing. They have too much. So you need to bring it down, which is what fasting does. But you don't think of it that way because, again, there's only one guy who's saying that. And every other 99 other guy saying that, hey, this is just the way it is. So, So you just accept it and sort of go on. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, when I look at it, I always think it's a crazy situation that is allowed to persist because there's a lot of money being made off the backs of these people, Um, you know, and that keeps, you know, that keeps them in the game sort of thing. Yeah, it reminds me of the financial system, at least, uh, you know, my area of expertise is obviously Bitcoin. And that's totally the case where a lot of people think in sort of like an old way, when in fact, it's actually very abusive. And, uh, you know, like, it's, it's not helping people, it's actually hurting people. And they seem to think more of that is the solution. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, because it's, it's, it's really the same case, right, where people are saying, yeah, we're just going to print a trillion dollars. <laughs> and you notice how nobody even blinks, right? Because mm-hmm. they already had the moral hazard from 2008, right? So mm-hmm. they bailed out all those big banks, right? Yes, the government made money on it. But, uh, you know, there are some who argue, well, those banks who took on those risks should have been allowed to fail because mm-hmm. they took the risk. They should pay the price, right? And let a whole new generation of uh, banks come up that are not going to put it at risk. But then, of course, they sold it as, oh, the little guy will get hurt. We need to pump these billions of dollars in. And how much was it? Like $700 billion or something Hank Paulson mm-hmm. wanted originally. And, and, and so now you have the same thing 10 years later, 11 years later, where you tar- start talking about trillions of dollars and nobody blinks an eye. They're like, oh, okay, well, no problem. And, and of course, because the, the cost of those trillions of dollars is very insidious, mm. nobody, like, they don't, the, the little guy doesn't even recognize that, yes, he's going to eventually get screwed in the end of all this, mm. right? Which is what Bitcoin, because it's a stable currency, doesn't, um, mm. you know, doesn't have that problem. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And and that's that's one of the things that I'm I'm finding in parallel with uh with kind of what you're saying, especially about diet and nutrition because you know, the the bias is always towards like more and more intervention whereas for you uh and what what you're prescribing is actually like take away stuff from what you're doing and that in turn causes uh, things to heal on its own. So can you tell us a little bit more about your philosophy, uh, you know, in contrast to the typical medical advice, which is to take more drugs? Yeah, so it's it's sort of like, um, you know, uh, 
Nassim Taleb talks about via negativa, right? So you gain by subtracting, basically. And this is sort of a, a, a you know, it, it applies to a lot of different things. The more you take away, the better people generally are. And it's the same for drugs, right? You get in a situation where people just say, you need to take more and more drugs. And, and there's nothing wrong with drugs. They have their, t- their time and their place. Um, but uh, you need to take more because generally that's what makes money, right? So you need to take more drugs and the pharmaceuticals take make more money. You need to eat more food and so the food companies make more money. You need to take more supplements and the supplement companies make more money. But you're, 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 you're getting played. That's the problem. And there's a whole system that's stacked up against the guy who wants to take that away because you're threatening the business and the livelihood of all these companies, right? So instead of saying, okay, well, people need to eat, uh, you know, so, so if people need to lose weight, so you're 300 pounds and you need to lose weight, well, the simplest and most logical thing is to stop eating for a while, right? That's what intermittent mm-hmm. fasting is. So mm-hmm. eat instead of three meals a day, eat one meal a day, right? Very simple, obvious, and logical, right? Mm-hmm. And who tells you that? Nobody. What, what's the message you get in terms of fasting? Oh, fasting so bad for you. It's like you can't ever skip a meal. Don't go more than two hours without putting some muffin in your mouth, right? It's like, what, even if you're 400 pounds and have a you know, type 2 diabetes and you, know, you can't even walk? Like seriously, why would you give advice like that? Like that's insane, right? But that's the message that you get all over the place because there's a whole system set up for that it's profitable for you to take more food right and it's like so that's why i come around and i say okay especially when i started talking about this in 2013 people are like saying fasting so bad for you and you get this message on the media all the time fasting so bad for you you should always eat eat six times a day it's like how is eating six times a day gonna make you lose weight like tell me about that right that's like (laughs) saying oh you should dry off by going in the bathtub. It's like, <laughs> what are you? Are you an idiot? It's like, if you want to lose weight, you have to stop eating or eat less, right? And one way to eat less is to, is to not eat for a period of time, right? So it's like, okay, here's the most logical thing in the world, like something that a four-year-old can understand. And yet we've, been, we've created this entire myth about why you need to eat more and take supplements and eat six times a day and eat these special foods in order to lose weight if you're like so heavy. It's like, you guys are insane, right? Because you can't see the most simple logical thing. But of course, it's because it's not because people are stupid. It's because there's a whole, you know, you you hear this over and over again, right? There's there's this message on the media and the dietitians will tell you and the doctors will tell you, everybody's going to tell you. So you go, okay, you got this one crazy guy over here, Jason Fung, who says, well, if you want to lose weight, just stop eating, right? And you've got 99 other people who are saying, eat more, take supplements. It's like, what do you think you're deprived of? What, What nutrient do you think you're deprived of right now that you need to take a supplement? Or you need to eat food all the time, right? It, it, it makes no sense. And it's like, the other thing is that if you have too much body fat, so you have obesity, you have type 2 diabetes, you have too much body fat. Well, body fat is a store of calories, right? That's all it is. So you, 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 <laughs> it's precisely the reason why you carry body fat so that you have sustenance when you don't eat, right? So when you don't eat, you're simply using your body fat exactly the reason you carry body fat 
So you're using it for what it was designed for. What could be better than that? Right? <laughs> really nothing. Like it's so, it's so crazy because it's, it's so simple and obvious and logical. And yet people create this huge, huge stories and myths about why you shouldn't do it and how it's bad for you and why you can't do it. And you know, why you're going to die if you, if you go a couple hours without eating, it's like, you know, fasting has been around for thousands of years. Like every major religion in the world has fasting in it. You know, it's like crazy. It's, 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 it's a totally insane situation. Mm. Well, what what's more, uh, at least the people that are sort of more into intermittent fasting, ketogenic diets, and so on, uh, the the thing that I notice about them is that they look much better and healthier. I, I mean, surely that has to count for something. Why why isn't it more popular? Um, I mean, keto is already quite popular, and I think it's because there's. A lot of uh, people are worried because there's a lot of naysayers uh, out there who, again, are uh, sort of um, there, there's there's incentives, financial incentives to prevent people from getting better. So one example I remember a little while ago is uh, this: there's this whole thing in the media about keto crotch. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you remember that, but it's, <laughs> it's this whole thing where people said, well, if you eat keto, you get this groin rash or something like that. And it's like, okay, I've treated thousands of people. I've never seen this. Nobody <laughs> who was in keto had ever heard of this. But there's this concerted effort. It was very, you know, it was big for a couple of uh, weeks because I think somebody had put a lot of money into it, into advertising it, you know, putting it out there that you get this keto crotch. And it's like, <laughs> that's not even a real thing. <laughs> it was totally made up. And, and, mm. and, and, and nobody had ever had keto crotch, right? And, and all of a sudden, so, so there's obviously some people who wanted to prevent it from becoming big like keto. But of course, because people were getting better with keto, that's why you see all this keto stuff um, really take off. I mean, it's, it's become very popular. Same with intermittent fasting, right? It's like you can keep people in the dark for so long, but once people start to say, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense, well, then it's going to get traction because on, on, on the internet, people are able to search and find information and say, hey, this actually makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they're getting great results. Um, could you speak to speak a little bit about why it works so well? Because, like, if you you know sort of fast for three days, it's a very different effect than if you like you know and fast for three days and eat for four days, but you eat the same amount of food like interspersed like evenly, um, you get very different results. What what's going on with the body? Yeah, so this is basically the difference between calorie counting and fasting is that, you know, people think about this as sort of, oh, if you eat the same number of calories, it's going to be the same, but it's not. Because when you eat a certain number of calories, like 100 calories, if you eat, say, cookies versus you eat, um, you know, an egg, the, the hormonal response is very different. So when you take those 100 calories, your body can either store it or it can use it. Right? And that depends on the hormone insulin. So if insulin goes up, your body wants to store it. If it doesn't go up, then your body will do something else with it, which is burn it, basically. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that if you don't so, – so suppose you just cut down – so this is the way that we generally advise people to lose weight, which is you know eat six times a day, cut your calories. And the problem with that is that you don't affect your insulin very much. So if your insulin is high, your body is going to store all those calories, whether or not – and if you take less – 
So if, say you start with 2,000 calories a day and you burn 2,000. Now you take 1,500, right? You cut 500 calories a day and you think you're going to lose weight. But the problem is because your insulin levels are still high, you're going to store it all and then you're either going to eat more or your body's going to turn down how much calories it uses, right? So instead of burning uh, 2,000, it's going to burn 1,500. So if you're eating 1,500 and burning 1,500, you're not losing weight. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's really about the insulin. Insulin is what's going to toggle you. It's going to either tell the body to store energy or it's going to tell the body to use energy. And if it's high, it's going to store energy. If it's low, it's going to use energy. So the body exists in sort of one of two states, which is either it's in the fed state, insulin is high, store energy, or it's in the fasted state, insulin is low, you're going to burn energy. So if you if you um, just simply cut your calories but stay in the fed state, you're still storing calories and you're not going to be able to burn the fat. The point about fasting is that you're allowing your insulin levels to fall to a level where your body is now going to switch over and start using the calories that it's stored, right? So when you sleep at night, for example, and you're fasting for you know eight hours or 12 hours or whatever, the reason you don't die in your sleep every night is because you're able to use those stored calories. But if your insulin is high, you can't use those stored calories. You can't you can't get it through. So that's that's the the difference. Is the fasting helps change the sort of hormonal profile of the body so that your insulin levels drop and you're you able to use the stored fat. Because think about it, for example, say you weigh four hundred pounds. Um, if you weigh 400 pounds, you've got like hundreds of thousands of calories stored in your body fat. So if you have that, then why won't your body use it, right? And that's the reason is because you're, you're not letting it. You're blocking it, right? It's, it's, it's not able to access those stores. Like the logical thing, if you have 100,000 calories of body fat, which is making you sick, right? You're, the logical thing is to use it. But your body doesn't because when you eat, you block the, the insulin goes up and you block yourself. You have no access to those body fat stores, right? It's just like if you have money in your bank account, right? Mm. And you have money in your wallet. Well, the money in your wallet you can spend. But if you go to the store and they say, oh, you, I need this amount of money and all that money is in your bank account, well, you can't do anything. Like, if, you know, if, if, if they only take cash, then you can't access that store of money same thing with your body so you've locked away all these calories in your body fat but by eating all the time you don't allow yourself access to it mm. so then you can't do anything about it you're, you're you're you wind up having to eat more because that's the <laughs> only way you're going to get energy so you've got a hundred thousand calories in your body fat and you're, it's totally blocked because you're keeping your insulin levels high. And then your body's like, hey, you need to go eat something because I have no energy to, to, to do anything. Mm. It's like, okay, well, that's crazy because all that stored energy, that stored body fat is making you sick. Mm. Wow. Well, it, it sounds like there's sort of like two modes that your body gets into, like, uh, you know, sort of like that fasted state and the fed state that you were talking about. Um can you tell us a little more about uh, the benefits of being in that fasted state? What happens to you? Yeah, so there's a lot of health benefits actually because um, when when your body recognizes that there isn't any um, 
sort of nutrients come in, then it activates something called autophagy, which is this way of sort of clearing out the body of this junk. So essentially, if you have no food, then you don't want extra cells all over the place because you've got to feed those cells, right? So you, you just try and get rid of all this sort of excess junk. And it sounds really bad, but in fact, it's a very healthy thing because as you get rid of all this sort of extra protein and extra junk in your body, if you need it again, you'll, 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 when you eat, you'll produce those proteins and stuff that you need because growth hormone levels are fairly high. So um, it's, a, it's actually a way of rejuvenating your body. So the autophagy sort of gets rid of all the old junk. And then when you need it, you will build new stuff, right? So instead of like if you're thinking about how you renovate your bathroom, well, the first thing you got to do is throw out all the old stuff, right, before you can put new stuff in. You can't just put a new cabinet on top of an old cabinet. It just doesn't work. So the first process and the in the first thing you have to do in rejuvenation is get rid of stuff. And that's what the fasting does. It helps you get rid of all your excess junk. It's like a spring cleaning, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to throw out all the stuff because if you want to buy new stuff, you gotta you gotta have room for it. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem. Like nobody talks about that anymore. People keep talking about, oh, you gotta eat for energy. Oh, you gotta eat for this, you gotta eat for this. It's like you know, you can't just keep eating all the time. You got to cycle between getting rid of stuff and getting new stuff, right? It's just like you can't keep buying stuff for your house all the time, right? You know how when you have a your house, and then <laughs> your basement eventually just gets filled with junk. Like it's just <laughs> terrible, right? <laughs> so, you know that extra guest bedroom. It always winds up getting full of just stuff that's just like, oh my goodness, why did I buy that, right? So you got to throw all that out. And that's what that's what the fasting is. You're just trying to get rid of all the junk in your system that you don't need. And then you're going to be a lot healthier. So it's, it's going to prevent you from gaining weight. It's going to prevent you from having type 2 diabetes. And those are two of the biggest risk factors for like cancer and heart disease and strokes. And those are the biggest killers of Americans. Uh, may play a role in preventing things like Alzheimer's disease and uh, all this stuff. So it's like those are the big killers. And if you want to be healthy, you you have to avoid these diseases. <laughs> and fasting, which is a free intervention, is going to help you do that for no money. Mm. And it's not only is it free, it's available to everybody. It's not like you have a drug where you have to distribute it to the, you know, to everywhere. Anybody who listens, you just need the knowledge and you can do it yourself, right? You have all these people who are and 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 it's it's available and it's free which means that if you're like some disadvantaged person you know with no money and you're you know you're working and you're just trying to make ends meet well it's going to save you money right it's going to save you time it's going to make your life easier and it's going to make you healthier you're not going to need to pay those uh, insulin prices anymore not going to have to see the doctor because you have the type 2 diabetes you're not going to suffer that heart attack right all of which is um, you know, uh, a huge advantage. It's, it's, it's convenient. You can do it anytime. You can start it. You can stop it anytime you want. So, so many advantages to the fasting compared to anything else that you can do in, from a dietary standpoint. Mm. And yet uh, people don't try it. Uh, I mean, I, I know people that have tried maybe intermittent fasting, but especially like longer term fasting, like what would be your argument to try that to uh, and essentially invite Marie Kondo to your body and get rid of some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you can do very well with just shorter intermittent fast. So I usually cut off at around, say, 
you know, 24 hours, I call it sort of intermittent fasting, but there's no real cutoff. Um, what happens when you uh, go longer is that um, there's a few advantages and a few disadvantages, right? So um, when you do the shorter fast, less than 24 hours, say, so if you eat dinner and go to the next day's dinner, that's about a 24-hour fast. And you're going to get a lot of benefit from that already. Um, the, 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 the main advantage really of the shorter fast is that it's very easy to implement. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, if you go from dinner to dinner, most people don't even care. If you skip breakfast, nobody cares. If you skip lunch once in a while, nobody cares, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you start skipping dinner on a regular basis and eh, that's just very social meal. It's the meal that most people take with their families and their kids and their friends. So therefore, you start skipping those, it starts to really impact your life. It's just hard to do consistently. Uh, not that you can't, but it's hard for a lot of people to do. And that's why intermittent fasting is a great strategy, because you get most of the benefits, and you can just sort of slot it into your life without you know, much, much ripples, right? Mm -hmm. um, as you go longer, what happens is that you, you get more and more benefits from a fat-burning standpoint so the way that the body works is that <clears throat> you can store sort of energy as sugar um, and you can store it as body fat so when you burn off the sugar then you start burning body fat and it takes maybe between 16 and 24 hours depending on your previous diet so ketogenic diets of course get people into this sort of fat burning stage all the time but the thing is that if you go for 24 hours, you're sort of through all the sugar and now you're into burning fat. So now if you go 48 hours, you get 24 full hours where you're really just burning body fat. Mm -hmm. And you go 72 hours, you get another full sort of time. You don't have to go through that stage where you're just trying to get rid of the sugar. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of benefit. And the other thing is that when you do longer fasts, uh, the hunger tends to start going down. So after the first day or two days, you get that hunger um, when you're fasting, but by day three, four, and five, a lot of that physical hunger really starts to go down. Like you don't feel hungry at all after a while. It's actually quite interesting. Um, and the studies sort of confirm that too. And it's like, hey, if you're now, like if you're doing, say, you really want to lose weight quickly, for example, for a big event, you know, high school reunion coming up or something like that, right? And you do a five-day fast or seven-day fast, you're going to get these huge, quick results. Mm. And you're not even going to be hungry. It's like, whoa, I don't know what could be better, mm. right? It's like... <laughs> You know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. I think it's a great tool for you to use if you have, if you want to get quick results, and uh, you know, not even be that hungry. So that's the big advantage. The disadvantage is, of course, doing longer fasts is a little bit disruptive for a lot of people. And the other thing is that um, if you're going to run into problems, it's 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 more likely when you do long fasts, right? So. Um, there's not usually a lot of problems if you're overweight. If you're not overweight, then of course you should try and limit these as well. Well, so one thing I wanted to touch on, which you kind of hinted at, is that people kind of have very dysfunctional uh, relationships with their food. Um, and uh, like, why is that? And how can we fix that through some form of fasting? Well, I think that the a lot of the problems stem when people get messages like you should eat even if you're not hungry. Like breakfast is a prime example. So, you know, a lot of people aren't that hungry at breakfast time. You know, statistically, the, the time of the day that you're least hungry is 8 a.m. And this is, you know, 
in average. So some people, it doesn't hold true, but on average, people are the least hungry in the day because, um, you know, your body has actually started to, you know, it actually activates certain hormones that release glucose and sort of suppress the hunger a little bit. So the point is that you get this message where people say, well, breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you should always eat breakfast. It's like, well, if you're not hungry, but you think you should eat because it's healthy for you now, like that's a, that's a really tough time. It's going to make you have a dysfunctional relationship with your food because now you're trying to find some kind of food. Like, you know, I'm usually in a rush in the morning. So now you're trying to find some kind of really convenient food that's relatively inexpensive. And then that's where you go eating sugary cereal because sugary cereal tastes better than, you know, shredded wheat, which doesn't have a lot of sugar. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, the, now you get into a problem where you're eating stuff that you don't really want to eat just because you think that it's healthy for you. When in fact, there was actually no reason (laughs) for you to eat it. You can break your fast at 12 just as easily as you can break it at 7 a.m. Right, but you get these messages where people say, "Oh, you have to eat, you have to eat, you have to eat." And you get these messages where you say, "Don't ever fast, don't ever skip a meal." And and, and maybe it's a less, little less now, but people say you should never ever skip a meal because you could, you know, you, you know, it's like, okay, but what if you're not hungry? Why would you eat if you're not hungry? If you're 400 pounds and you're not hungry, why would you eat? Right, it makes no sense. And and then people, you know, again, it's it's be you know companies making their buck off the back of these people. So then you have these meal replacements, protein shakes, and stuff. And and I remember watching this episode of, you know, my six hundred pound life. You know, it's one of those shows where people get the gastric bypass. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they're trying to lose weight, and they're like, okay, we're going to drink two of these protein shakes, and then they spit it out because it tastes so bad. I'm like, uh, why would you spend money to buy this drink, which tastes so bad that you can't even eat it when or drink it, when you could just drink water and be losing fat the whole time? Because that protein drink or whatever meal replacement drink that you're taking is not going to make you lose weight. It's going to stall you because if you don't eat, you're going to use, use the body fat. If you do eat, you're going to use the calories contained in that meal replacement. So you're way better off just to have some water and it doesn't taste gross, right? (laughs) So it's like, but why would you do that? Why? Because somebody, usually a doctor or dietitian has says, you have to take this. And this other company is making a lot of money selling these (laughs) replacement uh, shakes and then paying the doctor, uh, advertising to the doctor, taking him to a fancy dinner, sending him to Vienna and stuff. You know, convincing them how good these things are, right? So you've got the company making money, you've got the doctor making money, all off the back of this poor guy who's just a poor lady who's just trying to lose weight and thinking that they're doing the right thing because their doctor and their dietitian told them to take these replacement shakes. It's like that's crazy. Like the whole system's like just set up against against the little guy, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm say. Here's the information, right? And I'll give it to you for free, right? You can watch me on YouTube. You can read my blogs, which are free. You can go anywhere. Uh, you know, a book you can take out from the library, right? I'll give you the information you need for free because that's what's going to make you better.
Well, so you you hinted at a lot of the money sort of like playing a big role in sort of the bad incentives we have and all the moral hazards that are there. Um, How would sort of direct payment for maybe even results instead of service, say, uh, from the patient instead of having all these third parties, how would that change this industry? Um, I think that it would... uh, you know, it would be a huge incentive, but it's hard to roll out, right? So if you say, well, I'm going to give you incentive-based pay, which is like, okay, lose this amount of weight, and then the doctor gets this amount, right? Then the problem is that you do, uh, you know, you have people who always try to game the system, right? So no matter what you do, there's always incentive. So, you know, people will cheat and stuff. And Well, well so instead of having a third party like an insurance company pay the patient or the doctor for results, um, if the patient paid you directly, like how would that change things? I think that would change things. I mean, because obviously the people who are happier with with their care are going to sort of come up. I mean, I think that that's what the um, I think that's what the United States tries to do, but it hasn't been too successful. So, if you look at Canada, for example, we have a one system, one payer system. So the government basically pays for everything. So the patient doesn't ever pay. We never charge patients. Um, but it's very hard to put in a system where you have sort of uh, you know there are private clinics, but very few where the patient pays directly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it does work, I think, if you can, and the United States tries to give you a bit more choice in that, that is, you're not forced into a single government payer, right? You can go to this company or that company or this company. Um, so, but again, I think it's the the devil's sort of in the details that is actually making a system that's fair is actually very, very hard to do. So, you know, it's, it's, I think that there must be some kind of um, way to do it. And I think most of it is just trying to get rid of the conflicts of interest rather than trying to reinvent the whole system. That's a lot easier to do. So just saying that, you know, hey, if you're a doctor, you make your money seeing patients and that's all you can do. You start taking money from a company and you can no longer make money from seeing patients because your judgment is now compromised. And you have to say stuff like that. Uh, just like you would say to a policeman, you don't take money from a store because, or you don't take free coffee from a store because that's going to impair your judgment. You're going to favor this store over the neighborhood store, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to put into, uh, you have to put rules into place where you can do that as opposed to saying, okay, well, we'll go, you know, with a direct payment. It, it can work, but it's just, it's just hard to do for, from a, from a practical standpoint, um, uh, the healthcare in a lot of uh, countries is sort of government-based, um, and uh, some would argue that it winds up better than a private system, which is what the United States has. That is, it's not that the United States has bad stuff. It's that if you can afford it, you get better care. And if you can't afford it, you get much worse care, right? So it's not fair. It's not equitable uh, in that sense. So it's the same thing when you put in a, a system with the um, – when you put in a system with uh, direct payments, it's it's not as equitable. The people who can pay more are going to get better care, and the people who pay less are going to get worse care. And 
you know, the philosophy of a lot of uh, people is that we think everybody should get sort of at least a minimum level of care. So, uh, you know, I, I think it could work and it does work for other things. So a lot of, a lot of stuff it falls outside of the government payer. So, so you, you do, you, you do get a choice like your dentist and other stuff. You do get a choice of physiotherapist. You can go to whoever you want. Right. Mm. Well, all right. Uh, this has been an enlightening conversation. Where can uh, where can people find you? So you can go to my website, which is thefastingmethod.com. And also, you can also uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, which is at uh, Dr. Jason Fung. That's Dr. Jason Fung. Uh, or check me out on YouTube. I have um, sort of some videos uh, that are coming up. Um, you know, I'm putting new stuff out because the old stuff was really old. So <laughs> got, like six years old. So I'm, I've got new sort of uh, videos coming out sort of explaining all of this sort of stuff. So check it out. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Dr. Jason Fung can be found at at Dr. Jason Fung on Twitter and on thefastingmethod.com. Until next time, fiat delenda est.